for a day dedicated to the baptism of the Lord, the readings today seem to speak a lot more about spirit than they do about cleansing. Notice, for example, in Isaiah, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. Or in Peter's speech from Acts, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Or in the Gospel, John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Or again in the Gospel, after all the people had been baptized and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. If you are attentive while you are reading the New Testament, you will notice that baptism and the Holy Spirit are very often mentioned together. Consider that Jesus himself says in the Gospel of St. John, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Or, St. Peter, in his speech at Pentecost in the Acts of the Apostles, enjoins the crowd, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or Ananias, finding St. Paul in Damascus, says, Saul, my brother, the Lord has sent me, Jesus who appeared to you on the way by which you came, that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately things like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. There are, however, times in the New Testament when baptism and the descent of the Holy Spirit are distinct events. For example, Acts 19. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Or the conversion of the Samaritans in Acts 8. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who went down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The Church herself maintains strongly this link between baptism and the Holy Spirit in the baptismal liturgy, and even in the Collect today, the prayer that opened Mass, where we prayed, O God, grant that your children by adoption, reborn of water and the Holy Spirit, may always be well-pleasing to you. These quotes, this strong association between baptism and the Holy Spirit, come about because in the early church, Baptism and confirmation were essentially the same sacrament. In the ancient baptismal liturgies, a person was anointed with the sacred oil as they came out of the baptismal font, just as the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as he emerged from the waters of the Jordan River. 
And in fact, Eastern Christians still maintain this practice, confirming even infants immediately after their baptism, a tradition the Western Church only maintains in the baptism of adults. See, there are two traditions in tension here. The first is the strong association that we've already seen in all of these scriptures between water and the Spirit, expressed sacramentally in the strong association between baptism and confirmation. The two sacraments should go together, and the Church rarely speaks of these sacraments apart from each other. The second tradition, however, is the tradition we have just seen in the Acts of the Apostles, that the Holy Spirit comes from the Apostles laying on hands. So in the Western Church, we have separated in time confirmation from baptism, so that the bishop, the successor to the Apostles, can still be the one to call down the Holy Spirit upon the baptized. When this would happen has varied throughout the centuries. For most of the history of the Church, the confirmation happened quickly. Children would be baptized shortly after birth, as is still done today, and the bishop would confirm them the next time he visited their parish, often when they were still toddlers. This tradition was maintained in Mexico even until recent times. However, by the Middle Ages, in many countries, confirmation began to be delayed until the age of discretion, that age around the age of seven. All of this changed when Pope St. Pius X changed the age of First Eucharist to seven. And for the first time in 19 centuries, confirmation began to occur after Eucharist. It was never this way until the 20th century. Confirmation then quickly got moved to 7th or 8th grade, and in some U.S. dioceses like our own, confirmation was even pushed out until high school, something that we have now brought back to 7th grade. But if we look past this history and return to the scriptures, two things become abundantly clear about confirmation. First, it is not optional. It is expected from the earliest days of Christianity to accompany baptism. Our initiation into Christ is not complete until we are confirmed. Second, it is not now and never has it been the sacrament of choosing the faith. I understand where this idea came from, and it came from the fact that it often occurred in high school when those questions were naturally in the hearts of the youth. But thinking that confirmation is sometime, is somehow supposed to be the time when we choose for ourselves to be Catholic, that's historically inaccurate and deeply dangerous. Christ chose us to be saved through him, not the other way around. We didn't choose Christ. He chose us. We never want to suggest to anyone, let alone our children, that it is a legitimate choice to reject our salvation through Christ. So if you are not confirmed, it is a matter of urgency that you contact the parish office immediately to register for confirmation. 
It is your right as a Catholic, and it is historically aberrant to think that any Christian should be a Christian for any length of time without the descent of the Holy Spirit. If you are confirmed, then own it. The Holy Spirit has descended upon you in the same way it descended upon Jesus on the day of his baptism. The Holy Spirit is a gift to all Christians, in some way the greatest gift to all Christians, and it is a gift to which we should never grow numb. We talk about the gift of our salvation, and rightly so, but salvation restores us to that state of sinlessness we had in the Garden of Eden. But the descent of the Holy Spirit elevates us into the divine life. In a sense, our purification from sin and baptism makes room for the Holy Spirit so that we can participate in the life of God, so that we can receive the indwelling of God himself in our souls. It is wonderful that you were cleansed from sin and baptism, and it is wonderful that you find that cleansing again and again in confession. But you were chosen to be more than just free from sin. You were also chosen to be a temple of the Holy Spirit and to be sent into the world as the Holy Spirit is sent into the world. It is the Spirit who is sent and renews the face of the earth, and so will you be. The Spirit which descended on you and which lives in you constantly is calling you out into the world to preach the gospel and to bring the lost to salvation. By your baptism, but particularly and especially by your confirmation, you were made missionaries, agents of the Holy Spirit, and you have nothing to fear in your mission because it is the Spirit himself who does the work. You go into the world where the Spirit sends you, and you will see the Holy Spirit work through you. It is not you who work, but the Holy Spirit who works in and through you. Christian, know your dignity. Know the gift that has been given to you in the sacrament of confirmation. And pray that the Holy Spirit might continually increase his power in your life.